Hey, it's Bill Simmons. I have some good news for you. The hottest take. It's back. Oh, yeah. Monday through Thursday, four times a week, you hear from me, Chris Ryan, Sean Fantasy, Mallory Rubin, Wazdeen Lambrey, Van Lathan, Julie Lippman, many other ringer staffers. You get one take, you got to defend it to the death. Sports takes, pop culture takes, food takes, airplane takes. Oh, yeah. It's coming back. First episode drops August 29th. It's Off the Pike, presented by FanDuel. The road to the NBA Finals starts now, and FanDuel is the best place to get in on the action. Right now, you can check out the new and improved Quick Bets, which are back and better than ever for the NBA playoffs on FanDuel. Find what you're looking for faster and easier with more props right at your fingertips. You can check out live bets like 3-Minute Markets and exclusive live bets like quarter player props, player assist combos, and more. So download the app today and bet with FanDuel, official partner of the NBA. The Ringer is committed to responsible gaming. Please visit rg-help.com to learn more about the resources and helplines available and listen to the end of this episode for additional details. Must be 21 plus, 18 plus in D.C. and present in select states. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit rg-help.com. There's no better feeling than a personal win. And the State Farm Personal Price Plan can help you do just that. Talk to a State Farm agent today to learn how you can bundle and save with the personal price plan. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Prices are based on rating plans that vary by state. Coverage options are selected by the customer. Availability, amount of discounts and savings, and eligibility vary by state. Welcome into Off the Pike. Big news, of course. Ime Doka officially suspended for a year. Joe Mazzula will take over as the interim head coach of the Celtics. Joining us now from MassLive.com, it is Brian Robb. B-Rob, thanks for taking some time, man. I know you've been busy with everything going on with this team. <laughs> it's uh, It's been quite the 24 hours here, but no, happy to be aboard. And uh, it's, wow, what a, what a season we have ahead coming here. I know it's crazy. So I'm wondering this, B-Rob, what do you think was the rationale behind, of course, the original report comes out about 24 hours prior to the Celtics announcement. So what do you think was happening in between there? Why did it take them so long to make any sort of statement? Yeah, it's a really good question. I would I it has to be obviously some internal discussions that were going on and debating. I'm sure there are, you know, certain parts of the organization that were privy to this situation for it sounds like a, a period of time. And at the same time, I assume that they probably weren't ready to make a decision about it when that this came out on Wednesday night. And so they obviously put their heads together. I imagine this went all the way up to, to ownership to make the, the ultimate decision or certainly had a, a very big say there. Um, but my my guess is that this is something where they kind of had to figure out what they really wanted to do and that didn't they didn't expect to have to do that you know obviously they're gonna have to do that before the start of the season i don't know if they expected to have to do that uh very late on wednesday night when this broke initially originally yeah the thing that stuck out to me about the statement was the violations not just a violation so obviously there's way more to this story than we know but that Makes me sort of think that there's maybe do we know like maybe he was lying or something along those lines. Maybe they told him to stop and something happened after that. So it just leads me down the road because it does seem like just on the surface, B-Rob, that all the reporting that was coming out yesterday, it's like you look at it and you say, 
well, a year, that seems really harsh. So it just looks like we only know a small part of the story, and it seems like it's a lot bigger than maybe we're making it out to be. 100%. And that's stuff that the organization probably will never comment on because for a variety of reasons. But yeah, when you look at what's been what's out there and what is in the the penalty being a year with honestly the like you said the violations part of the statement and also obviously the the open-endedness of the statement being like he's suspended for a season and then we'll revisit that and see if it's you know beyond that or not and to me that that's a situation where i think it's a very real possibility that Emi Odoka has coached his last game with the boston celtics um for a variety of reasons and you know they probably don't know for sure yet Emi doesn't know for sure but having it that out front in the statement there, I think speaks volumes and speaks to the fact that there was obviously a lot going on here and a lot that, you know, goes beyond what the the public knows. Yeah. So why do you think they say that in the statement that essentially they're going to wait to make a final decision about his future? I mean, they allude to that in the statement saying no final decision is left on the future there. Do you think that's the legal end of this? It's possible. I mean, it's, it's really tough. It could be a thousand things. I think legally it, it obviously that could be an angle there. I think just looking at how how does this season go? Does does Joe Mazzula do a fantastic job and and say, hey, you know what he may like? Um, it's going to be tough to kind of regain the rapport and the trust organization wise after this situation, after these violations. And so maybe want to go in a different direction there, or maybe they just decide, listen, this is we thought we'd give this some time, and you know. A, a year later, we don't think we're ready to, to bring it back in. This is like, obviously there's has been, it's funny in Boston sports, like Alex Cora, it's a far different situation, obviously, but he had the the year off and that was with, with the firing. And then they, they brought him back. But I, I think they probably don't even know if in the organization yet of whether they would feel comfortable enough to do that when it, when it gets to that point. Well, you bring up a fascinating point too, right? Because what if Joe Mazzulla is like this unbelievable coach? Nobody saw it coming. He leads the Celtics to the finals. They get over the hump. I mean, it's probably going to be a step back from a coaching perspective, but that is a possibility. So what do we know about Joe Mazzulla? I know he played at West Virginia. I know he got a promotion this year. He coached the summer league two years ago, but I was kind of interested on why he was the guy that they went with, B-Rob. The one thing that I did look at, so he was with the staff with Brad Stevens since 2019. He had a previous stop as well and you look at some of the other experienced guys Sullivan of course on the bench and then you have Damon Stoudemire why do you think ultimately they landed on Missoula yeah Missoula's star around the NBA has kind of been on the rise a lot in the last few years he he was a finalist for that head coaching job in Utah that went to Will Hardy another you know the Ime Adoka's right-hand man here and and from what I you know from talking to Brian the organization before this all went down like the expectation was Missoula would pretty much be sliding into Will Hardy's role. So from that standpoint, it may look like he's, you know, leaping over guys, but I think that they had plans for him to be the, the number two guy regardless now. And now obviously that, that pushes him into that top spot, but his roots to the organization actually go back even beyond 2019. He was an assistant coach with the main red claws in the, I think around 2015, 2016, went away to go coach in college for a couple of years, but then the, the team sought him out to try to bring him back in the organization because they, they thought that highly of him and they wanted him to be, you know, potentially a long-term, you know, project that would rise through the ranks here as a coach. And now at age 34, he, he does that. He was the lone, you know, main assistant that was able to stay on Ime Doka's staff. And that was because he earned rave reviews from everyone from Brad Stevens to the players. 
And Ime Yodoka talked about that, how that played into it um, in a big way for him to make, keep him on staff. And now it is a little bit of an awkward dynamic. If you're Damon Stoudemire, Ben Sullivan, if guys who were, um, you know, front of the bench assistants last year to have this guy um, kind of leapfrog here, but it's clear that the organization thinks he's, he's ready for it. And he's, he's obviously very close with those guys too. So it's going to be a very, you know, they, they're going to need everyone here and it's going to be fascinating to see if he just goes with those guys or brings in some additional help to obviously fill the role that he was going to be in on the, on the bench itself. Yeah, it is kind of crazy, right? Because last year he's behind the bench and now he's taken over in the main seat in front of those <laughs> other guys. I mean, th- it, it really is bizarre. And you made me think of something. So I remember like now that you referenced the players, wasn't it Tatum that was asked about Missoula yes. at the NBA Finals, right? Tatum was asked about him. And Tatum, the story, I believe, goes B-Rep. He went to Ime Adoka and said, you should keep him on the staff, essentially? Yes. And so that was someone, someone was actually, someone was doing a story on Missoula, I think, because he's a local guy. He's from Rhode Island. And so the, mm-hmm. I think there were some local TV reporters there that asked, you know, they asked Ime about him and they asked Tatum about him. And Tatum gave this glowing um, kind of a review of Missoula and kind of told that, story about how he kind of went to Ime and, you know, gave him, you know, really went to bat for him, which is, you know, that's a superstar player. There's a lot of assistance that didn't, he didn't do that for, not in a bad way, but just as like, you know, to, to go to bat for someone to that degree kind of speaks volumes on that front. And I think the good news here for the Celtics on a, a very rough um, day overall was that I think Missoula has the respect of everyone on that team already um, from a player standpoint. And that is a, you know, he's obviously been around them than longer than these other assistants. Um, and that will come in handy here. You'd have to hope, hopefully, for the team in what is a very just brutal situation for them to, to, to handle. Yeah, and you mentioned bringing somebody else in with a guy that's only 34 years old. And look, I get it. Will Hardy's a young coach as well at the age of 34. So we've seen this happen before in the NBA. But the name that's trickling out is Frank Vogel. Do you think that's a legitimate possibility to bring him him in to be the main assistant, if you will, or the lead assistant, I guess would be the right term? Yeah, I mean, that it makes sense from a standpoint like he's very close with Brad. So that if any time there's an opening, like Vogel's obviously on the market, He's an experienced guy. It makes sense for him to be certainly a candidate that Brad brings to Joe. My, my guess here is that they can leave it up to Joe and they're not going to force anyone on him in this situation. If he wants an experienced NBA coach, I'm sure that'll be encouraged by Brad and probably other members of the front office. But like Ime Adoka, he didn't bring in an experienced assistant. Um, you know, that was obviously Will Hardy had a lot of experience, but he's, he's a, you know, his thirties, you're not going to bring in a, he didn't bring in a seasoned assistant. Um, and so that will be up to Joe to see if he, you know, feels like he needs that kind of guidance on the bench and in a very challenging situation, or if he thinks, Hey, Ben Sullivan, Damon Stoudemire, I trust these guys. I want these guys to be my um, one and two. And maybe we promote someone else from the bench to take what would be uh, another lead assistant role. And B-Rob, one thing about Ime is, like, I've referenced this before, like, his overall size is kind of intimidating. But when he came in, I mean, he instantly became the guy that he didn't give a shit. He'd call out anybody. And now you look at it, they got that situation with bringing in Malcolm Brogdon. So, like, are you closing games with Derek White, Marcus Smart? Is it just Marcus Smart? Is it Malcolm Brogdon? Like, the finals, remember there's a game where Marcus Smart's not playing? How do you think a young guy like Joe Mazzulla, who's just getting this job, is going to be handling those type of veteran players on a team that has title aspirations? It's a huge challenge because, it, as you laid out, Brian, it was going to be a huge challenge for Ime 
like, and we saw it even in the finals there when, you know, Marcus Smart was benched in the, the closing minutes of game one uh, for a, a good stretch of the fourth quarter there. Um, how much that, you know, they won the game, but that got plenty of attention. I think there was going to be a lot of those situations all year long here of Malcolm Brogdon in the mix. And um, things may be a little bit easier from that standpoint early on with Rob Williams being out. I think that makes the decisions for closing lamps a bit easier with you probably play Brogdon and Smart together and you go small with Tatum at the four and, and Alfred at the five. But when push comes to shove and everyone gets back healthy, these are not um, easy decisions at all. And Missoula is going to be, you know, talking to Al Horford. Al Horford is a couple years older than this guy. And he's going to be <laughs> bossing around on the court for these situations. But for as tough as it is from, you know, I've talked to Joe plenty of times. He's like, he's very well respected. He works really hard and he's very open to, um, ideas. And if I think he's gonna be determined to just get things right. Um, listen to whoever need, you know, has good ideas for him. And I think he has the, the fact that he has the players respect and has been around them for a few years. will I think help him make those decisions a little bit easier and hopefully with a little less drama as then they might come out otherwise. Okay. And then the other portion of the equation with the decision to go with Missoula is, well, was Brad going to come down from the front office <laughs> and coach the team and take over? I mean, I remember that last year at B-Rub. He looked like he was not wanting to do that job anymore. And look, he's done a really good job in the front office. And I know a lot's come back to, would hey, would Danny have made the move that Brad made? But nonetheless, Derek White trade was nice. I like the offseason. Of course, they end up with a couple of injuries, mainly Danilo Gallinari, which sucks for the team. But do you think that was just Brad is completely done with that portion of his life? He'd just rather be up there running the team rather than coaching? Uh, yes. That is my assumption. Like, when you look at what the, the grind that he was had to go through for the last eight, nine years coaching-wise, and then, I mean, this last week was not fun for him, too, I imagine, having to, you know, he. I'm not sure he's the one who made the final decision on this, but certainly he was in those discussions to figure out what Ime Adoka's fate was going to be uh, once all this stuff came to light in terms of the uh, the violations that the teams was referring to here. But I, when this came out and email, I, to be honest, I never thought once that, Oh yeah, Brad's going to come down and take over here. No, like this is, I think he's in a better job that he enjoys for himself. I think for his, you know, family life as well. I think it, it's, it's a lot easier to be involved you know, seeing your kids games, et cetera, like that when you're not on the road for 40 plus games a year and not that there's not a grind to being in the front office too, but it's, it's a, it's a promotion. And to be in the front office, there's, there's very few people that come from back down from the uh, front office, back down to the bench, certainly for just the, on an interim basis. So it, it's a fun storyline to think about. It's a fun thing yeah. that people threw out there yesterday, but um, I'm not surprised at all that he's uh, staying upstairs. Yeah, me neither. He just, it didn't feel like he wanted to do that anymore. And look, he had a really good tenure as the head coach, and it felt like they needed another voice, and Ime was perfect. Now we'll see if Joe Mazzula can do that. Hey, B-Rob, before we let you go, just to get you out on more of a positive slash fun note after all the stuff that has happened with this team over the past 24 hours and change. So who's the first guy that gets in a verbal altercation, a back and forth <laughs> with Missoula. So I'm thinking like the nominees I have for you. So Grant's got to be pretty high up there. I would say Marcus Smart has to be pretty high up there. And I'm trying to think like who else would be a nominee. I mean, maybe Jalen, but I mean, who would you think's the guy? 
I'm going smart. Um, I like the Browns because they're both point guards. Like those are guys like Missoula, like he was a guard back in the day at, at West Virginia. And so that's someone where, and they've been, you know, working together for years now. So that's something where I think that Grant Williams and Ime both kind of played similar position, but now Missoula, I bet is going to get into the ear of his point guard more than ever now, because that's, that's what he played as when he was out there. So that's a really fun, I'd love to see the odds in that one. But I'm thinking smart, smart as my horse out of the gate there. Yeah, we can see if FanDuel can get the odds up for us on who's the first guy <laughs> to get in an argument with Missoula. That is Brian Robb from MassLive.com. Make sure to be reading his stuff at MassLive.com as all this stuff's going down with the Celtics. B-Rob, thanks so much for the time. We really appreciate it, my friend. No problem. Thanks for having me. All right. Great talking to B-Rob, Brian Robb from MassLive.com. Great insight from him. And one of my biggest takeaways from that conversation was when he referenced the players. And it dawned on me at that time, and I referenced the fact that Jason Tatum signaled him out. Okay, so that's a very important element to this whole thing, because as the star player of this team, as the guy that if the Celtics are going to get back to the NBA finals, which, of course, they were there a season ago, the fact that the best player has the trust and has the backing or the coach has the backing of the best player, it's major going forward. And look, there's no sugarcoating this because Joe Mazzulla may turn out to be a really good coach. I mean, everybody has rave reviews about the guy. Everybody speaks highly of the guy. But the reality is we already knew how good of a coach Ime was. And that's just sort of the unfortunate thing about this whole situation for the Celtics because it really did feel like They had everything set up for them going forward, right? And look, it now going back, that missed opportunity last year is going to hurt even more because we have more questions now entering the season with a lot of different things, injuries, and now this whole situation going into the year. But you just look at what that situation was last year. The Nets sucked and that team was self-combusting. Simmons didn't even play. You sweep them. That's great. But then you have that grinded out of a series with the Milwaukee Bucks that remember in one of those games, you give up that free throw rebound. If you win that game, maybe you end the series earlier and you don't have to go to seven games. You had all these turnovers in the Miami series. It was very difficult to watch. And you let Jimmy Butler come into the garden and be the best player on the floor. And you have to go and play game seven in Miami. So I'm not saying that fatigue is an excuse for the Celtics, but it's one of the reasons they lost. Now, they only have themselves to blame for that particular situation, but it just felt like everything perfectly aligned for the Celtics. And what that run reminded me of was the 2019 Bruins, where if you go back to the 19 Bruins and you think about the run they had, remember, the team that everybody was concerned about that year, the Lightning. Okay, now after that, the Lightning would go on and win back-to-back Stanley Cups. So there was a reason that we were worried about that team. But they get upset, right? And then the Penguins, who you were sort of worried about, they go down. The Washington Capitals go down. And you're like, holy crap, the Bruins are going to win the Stanley Cup. And then it's the Blues that come out of the West. And the Bruins were the significantly better team, and they can't get it done. And they never get back. And look, that core is older now. But you kind of had that feeling with the Celtics last year, like, holy shit, they are going to win the NBA Finals. They're up two to one against the Golden State Warriors. And you're thinking to yourself, they're really going to do it. Not like next year, not the year after that. They're going to do it this year. And you just wonder going forward, is that whole situation going to present itself going forward? Because you had the perfect coach. You had the star player becoming one of the better players in the league. First team all NBA. You had the sidekick and Jalen Brown, and you even overcame some of the injuries throughout the season. 
Robert Williams coming back and looking like himself finally in the NBA Finals. And now look at Al Horford. Part of the reason that this team was so successful last year is because of Al Horford. The fact that, and look, Marcus Smart, Robert Williams, the two best defensive players on the team, and Jason Tatum as well. That would be the trio of the three best players from my perspective last year. But Al Horford may have been the most important because that switching scheme doesn't work without Al Horford. He switched more than any player in the NBA last season, and he held up defensively doing that all the way into the postseason. Look at what he did with Giannis last year. I mean, Giannis got his, but Al Horford was pretty successful in terms of at least making it difficult on Giannis. So can you realistically expect Horford to have that type of year again? So we look at the age of Tatum, we look at the age of Jalen, and you just think, okay, they're going to have so many more bites at the apple, but you just never know. And that's why looking back at last season, I hope we're not looking back at that and say, hey, that was the time to do it with everything that now is going on with the team. And then the looming situation with Jalen Brown now going forward, is he going to want to be a Celtic long term after everything that went on with all the trade rumors? So it just feels like right now, I, I just I want the Patriots to win on Sunday because this just sucks right now where we're at. Look, and we I sound spoiled. I understand that. But just think about this. You have the New York Yankees and you lose the opening game of that series. Thank you very much, Ryan Brazier. Never want to see that guy pitch as a member of the Red Sox organization again. But there's a real chance that Aaron Judge breaks the record, the Yankees record against the Red Sox this weekend. I mean, the odds would tell you that he's going to do that. And the Red Sox are nowhere near a postseason spot. So that blows. And then you have the Patriots, who the offense does not look particularly great right now. The Bruins... They feel like, okay, yeah, they're going to get into the playoffs, but how much damage can they possibly do when they get in there? It's an older roster. There's a lot of good teams in the Eastern Conference in terms of the top of the conference. So you don't feel like they have a realistic chance at a Stanley Cup this year. The Celtics were supposed to be the team. They were supposed to be the team that you were putting all the eggs in that basket. The Celtics, cue the duck boats. They're going to get to the NBA Finals. After what they did last year, it was just the start. And now all this drama going on with the team in terms of a course, this situation with E-Man, unfortunately, the Robert Williams situation, it just feels like as high as I was on the Celtics team a couple of weeks ago, questioning a lot of things right now. I'm still optimistic. I'm still hopeful that this team can make a run, but it's just such a gut punch the past 24 to 48 hours, and it just sucks because this was supposed to be the given here. All right, a lot more to get into. We'll preview the Patriots game, and we'll get into Mac Jones and Lamar Jackson. Mac versus Tua, who would you take? We'll chat with Steven Ruiz from The Ringer. You hear him on The Ringer NFL Show as well in just a little bit. Spring is here, and you can now get almost anything you need for your sunny days delivered with Uber Eats. What do we mean by almost? Well, you can't get a well-groomed lawn delivered, but you can get a chicken parmesan delivered. A cabana? That's a no. But a banana? That's a yes. A nice tan? Sorry. Nope. But a box fan, happily, yes. A day of sunshine? No. A box of fine wines? Yes. Uber Eats can definitely get you that. Get almost, almost anything delivered with Uber Eats. Order now. Alcohol in select markets. Product availability may vary by region. See app for details. Welcome back into Off the Pike. Joining us now from The Ringer. You hear him on The Ringer NFL Show as well. It is Steven Ruiz. Steven, thanks so much for taking some time, man. We really appreciate it. Thanks for having me on. I always love talking back, Jones. Yeah, so we, of course, follow your ratings every week, and you got Mac 20th this week, which I think is completely fair based on the way that he's played so far this season. And, Stephen, one of my observations earlier this season, he looks like, and maybe some of it's on the coaching staff, but he looks like so far he's struggling a lot more than he did a season ago. What have you noticed so far? Yeah, I think he's having to think a little more, and maybe that's just like a product of having two guys that have never coached offense before run the offense. 
but it just seems like they've put more on his plate before the snap. Like every play, he's like pointing out linebackers. He's changing the protection, and then I think the pass protection has been very good. But there's been a couple of snaps, like a couple per game, where they just have a free rusher that just obliterates Mac Jones, and. I think that's rough. Like, I, I get that the thing with Mac is that he's so smart, and that's how he's going to win. He's smarter than everyone else on the field, but he's still a second-year quarterback, and you have to realize that. And you can't – you had to make things easier, and I don't think the Patriots have done that. And I will say that Josh McDaniels, I don't think he did the best job last year with their personnel, but I do think he made things easier on Mac Jones. You saw more misdirection. You saw more screen passes. You saw more play action. Right now, it's like drop back and good luck. Hopefully the pocket holds up. You better find someone open or else. And that's that's what the offense has been. It's been too much on his plate. Yeah, so what you're saying is basically it looks like an offense that's being run by Joe Judge and Matt Patricia. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> what, right, yeah. what you would expect from that. One of the things that jumped out to me this week is, so Mac Jones at his press conference, people are bringing it up because now everybody has the numbers on what he did in college out of RPOs, obviously incredibly efficient. And they're not doing any of that stuff, right? I mean, he only had, what, three dropbacks at all last week that are in RPOs. And, Stephen, the thing is, if he's going to be in the gun so much, I believe it's now 64 out of his 71 passing uh, or dropbacks have been out of the gun. Shouldn't that mean that they should be trying to incorporate some of that easy stuff from that he did well at Alabama? Yeah, I think they should. I think the problem is you have inexperienced coaches and they don't know necessarily how to do that or when to do it maybe is the problem. But I will say like the run game, especially from the gun when they spread things out, has been effective. It's been like the best part of their offense so far. And I think that's something that they can learn. Like let's spread things out and give Mac more space. I think that's what Mac needs. And we could talk about his physical limitations and they're obvious when you watch him. Like he's not going to, he can avoid sacks, but he's not going to like make a big play after avoiding the sacks. Like I'm thinking of, when he spun out of the sack, I think it ended up being a penalty. But against the Steelers on Sunday, he didn't really do anything with the ball after. And I think that's the problem with a quarterback like that is it naturally constricts the space that the defense has to worry about. And if you look at Mac Jones's passing map, it's like everything is in this, this little box that's like 15 yards downfield and in between the numbers, like where the numbers are on the field. And there's nothing going on outside of that. There's nothing going on beyond that. And it just makes it so much easier to play defense because you know where the receivers are going to be. It's like every offensive design is is built to get a 15-yard inbreaker over the middle. And if it's not there, Mac is going to take a sack or throw it away. Yeah, well, do you think that they – like what can they do to kind of give him some more layups in the offense? Because like I juxtapose it to what's going on in Miami with Tua. And obviously, I mean, he's been really good through the first two weeks. Obviously a lot better last week than against the Patriots. But it seems like they're scheming up things for him. And, of course, they come out of the same offense at Alabama. Are there things that the Patriots can do to help Mac more in terms of avoiding that little map on the field that you mentioned? Yeah, I think it's play action. That's what the Dolphins have really done well for Tua is like creating space in the pocket because with these guys with limited arm arm strength, it becomes more noticeable when there's less space. Like when Matt can't step into a throw or make a throw comfortably, like he's going to be accurate. He's That's his thing. He's going to throw it accurately. He's going to throw it with touch. He's going to make it. It's going to be a catchable ball. But when there's no space to step up and he's kind of got to like throw off his back foot, it's ugly. Like he throws high. That's when you see the interceptions over the middle of the field. That's when you see some of the misses. And I think one way to spread out the pocket is play action because you get the defense, like if you fake it one way, the defense like kind of splits, the defensive line splits, the windows, the throwing windows are clear, and they're just not making anything easy on him. And he's a quarterback. That, that's why there was a debate about whether he was a first-round pick was he's not this physical tool set guy. He's not Josh Allen. He's not Patrick Mahomes. He's not Justin Herbert. And we've kind of seen the, the league go to those quarterbacks. 
And Mac doesn't really have that in him. So he needs the guys around him, including the coaching staff, to be able to hide his physical weaknesses. And the Patriots just aren't doing it. If anything, they're highlighting them right now. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you're right. I mean, it's not a good thing to watch right now. But it is interesting, too, you mentioned the play action because we've been harping on that. It's two as 34 attempts out of play action and max seven, which is just inexplicable to me. Makes no sense. Yeah, I, I don't get it. And the other thing that I don't get is, so I they tweeted out this thing from ESPN Stats and Info about that the Patriots use motion less than anybody else in the NFL, and the Dolphins were actually number one in the NFL entering the week. So is that something that they can dig into that can help Mac more, too? Does that like sort of paint an easier picture for him? Yeah, I think it does. Like when you motion a receiver across the field, you're looking at the guy that's lined up across from him. Does he follow him across the field? If he does, that's man coverage. If he doesn't, you're probably getting zone coverage because the guys have to stay put to cover the field in zone coverage. And yet, like you said, they're not really giving him those tells. They're not making things easier. They're not doing like, like the screen passes last year. That was such a big part of their game. They were like doing reverses. They were doing screens. And that's how they kind of stretched the defense, even though they were kind of still playing in that little box because they were playing with a fullback. Now you don't see any of that stuff. And I think the one advantage they had with McDaniels last year is he kind of knew how to break the other team's coverage rules. Like he knew how to generate an open receiver on third down. Matt Patricia doesn't know how to do that. Like I said, every like passing concept is built around a dig, or an inbreaker over the middle at 15 yards. And defenses know that. They watch tape. They, if I can recognize it, I know like Mike Tomlin can recognize it. And I think as the season goes along, as you saw last year down the stretch, Things just are going to get harder and harder and harder for the offense unless they figure those things out. The problem is you have Matt Patricia and Joe Judge as the, the brain trust trying to figure it out. And I don't know if they're capable of doing that. Yeah. What was your thought like when that decision was ultimately made in the offseason? Because the way that it seemed here is, OK, like everybody's linking the Patriots to O'Brien because of the obvious connection. And then I thought maybe, okay, well, they blocked Nick Haley from going to the Raiders and they let Mick Lombardi go. So maybe they think that he's like the next Josh McDaniels, of course, the tight ends coach of the team. So that whole decision making process, especially considering that you have a second year quarterback, were you as baffled as we were here locally? Yeah, it was very interesting, especially like we know how delicate a quarterback's development is, a young quarterback, like one bad year, one bad decision could just ruin everything. I don't know what Baker Mayfield would have turned into, but we know what Freddie Kitchens did to that team. And it, they haven't recovered from it since. They ended up trading a, a bunch of picks and signing Deshaun Watson to a guaranteed deal. We see what happens when you do that. And I, I'm worried that it's like Belichick outsmarting himself. Like the thing with Belichick is he sees the utility in people. Like other coaches aren't going to see Troy Brown and be like, oh, he could, he could probably be a nickel cornerback for a month. They're not going to see Julian Edelman and think that. They're not going to see Slater be, I think he was a receiver at UCLA and turn him into the best special teams player ever. But sometimes those things don't work out. Sometimes you you tell Matt Patricia to be your offensive coordinator and it turns out exactly how you expected it to. And that's been the case so far. Yeah, I mean, you would think that the time to do that would be like if Brady was still here where he was right, basically yeah. just running the offense and they're doing it with Mac. The other thing like with Mac going back to last season he was blitzed more on dropbacks than I think anybody else besides Josh Allen in the NFL. So far this year, I get it's a small sample size, but it's like 4 of 12, the ratings at 41. Why do you think he struggles so much against the blitz? I think it's that thing I alluded to earlier, like it just reduces time and space. And when you're a player like Mac with limited physical ability, that, that just exacerbates the problem. Because you got to get throws off. 
quickly and you're not able to put your whole body into it. Like sometimes when you see Mac Jones throw out to the perimeter, it's not like a smooth throwing motion. It's not easy. It's like a pitcher that like falls off the mound when he throws and isn't in position to play defense. That's what you see with Mac and quarterbacks like Baker Mayfield, Kirk Cousins, like guys with limited skill sets. And usually how those guys end up like creating explosive plays is with the help of the scheme and play action. Patriots aren't giving them that. So it's like make a tough throw outside the numbers, even though you don't have the arm to do it. And like, I don't know what you expect it to look like. This is what I would expect it to look like. And this is how it's looking like something has to change. Something yeah, and so he's not getting helped by the scheme. And then the other thing, secondarily, is I never understood sort of the Devontae Parker fit. And Mac actually hinted this week that he's being coached to, like, continue to make these 50-50 throws. Yes. And I know that Kendrick Bourne's been in the doghouse. And we continue to harp on this, Stephen, like, pretty much every show. Like, why isn't Kendrick Bourne playing? What type of receiver do you think fits Mac better? Is it those, like, yak type of guys? Would that be a better fit with Mac? I think he needs, like like a quick, like Devontae Smith from the Eagles, who's like a skinny guy, but he wins and gets open immediately. Or like a guy like Devontae Adams. Obviously, he's not freely available. Although, he, I guess he was this offseason. They could have traded for him. But a guy that's going to, you can look at him before the snap and be like, he's going to win his matchup. I know he's going to get open. I can trust him to get open. Because that way you can kind of spread things out, put Devontae in the slot, and Aaron Rod- or not Aaron Rodgers anymore, Derek Carr knows, oh, he's going to win, and I, I can throw him the ball. Mac doesn't have that. Mac doesn't have a guy that he can trust to get open. So it's him like looking at his first read, waiting for it to get open, waiting for it to get open. It doesn't get open. And now what is Mac going to do? He's not going to scramble and buy time. He's not going to make like a Justin Herbert type throw with a guy bearing down on him. He needs space and time in the pocket. And if that first read isn't open, you don't have space or time to make throws. So it, and teams are taking away that first option. I think that's where not having a good offensive coordinator is showing up. They're not scheming open receivers. Yeah, and what do you think they can get anything out of these tight ends? Because so far through two games, I mean, they've tried to force it to Jonu Smith a bit, and even Mac himself has tried to force it to Jonu Smith. That It looks like that contract was a sunk cost last year, and Henry was not on the field much last week compared to what he was doing last season, and at times he's been an issue in the blocking game, and they actually were better when he was off the field. Do you think they get anything out of those two players going forward? No, I, I really do think it's a sunk cost. And I think they're kind of starting to admit it, not with like in with their words, but they're lining up in the gun a lot. They're not like lining up with those heavy personnel like they were last year. And it seems like they're kind of going away from that and going more towards what Mac did in, in college. Like they're keeping him in the gun. They're putting more receivers on the field. I think the transition needs to be accelerated and they need to just like buy in totally. But for now, I think those tight ends, I think they're going to realize like, yes, we paid all this money for him, but it's not working. So why force it? And I think if there's anyone, any coach who's willing to do that, it's Bill Belichick. Yeah. And hopefully that's the case because he's not, I, I just yeah. want them to play born more. Don't play the tight ends as much and go from there. And hopefully Myers is okay. He's been dealing with a banged up knee this week. So looking at this Ravens matchup, and I know Tua just lit up that defense, but of course, Mac doesn't have the weapons and he doesn't have the offensive coaching either. How do you think this Patriots offense can fare against that Ravens defense? Yeah, that's a tough one. The big thing last week in that uh, Dolphins game was the miscommunications in the secondary. Like they were just letting guys run open free. And I think part of that is when you have Tyreek Hill outside running, you kind of get nervous and you kind of overthink things. And maybe you pass off a route you're not supposed to. That's not really the case with Nelson Aguilar or Kendrick Bourne. I like Kendrick Bourne. I, I think he's a great player, but he's not that type of player. 
And you have to think after what happened on Sunday, the Ravens have just been drilling that stuff all week and they're not going to bust coverages in the same way. So now it's on again. It goes back to Joe Judge, Matt Patricia trying to out scheme the Ravens coaching staff, which is one of the best in the league. And it's hard to like their chances. And the one and on the other side of the ball, the one like weakness we've seen consistently with Bill Belichick when he's creating defensive game plans is dealing with mobile quarterbacks. They always seem to give him trouble. And with the way Lamar is playing, I could see him having a big game and it's going to be tough for Mac to catch, like to play keep up with the way the offense is going. So like my instinct is to bet against Belichick and to say the Ravens are going to win this one comfortably, but it's Bill Belichick. So it's so hard. Like he can always throw something at you, a a great game plan that you didn't see coming, but like on paper, the Ravens have a big advantage. Yeah, he did catch him a couple of years ago, Lamar, and part of that was it was a Sunday night game. It was yes. really bad weather. And look, I give, I mean, you give Bill credit. He came up with a really good game plan and all that, but he did get Lamar in that game. But I was looking at some of the stuff on Lamar too, Stephen. Like, one of the big issues the past couple of years with him has been the blitz, and then this year he's been so far 15 of 20. How do you expect Belichick to attack them on that? Well, I guess not really Belichick because he's been working with the offense, but Steve Belichick and Gerard May to kind of attack Lamar. It's kind of interesting because last year, the, the, the game everyone remembers with the Ravens was when they played the Dolphins and the Dolphins just blitzed the hell out of Lamar like every single snap. But the, the concept they were using to blitz him was the same exact concept Brian Flores used against Sam Darnold in the famous I'm seeing ghost games. And I wonder if they go to that strategy. And, but like you said, Lamar's been better. And there was a play in the Dolphins game where they lined up in the same like defensive front. They showed the pressure. They was like, we're going to blitz. And Lamar made like a check at the line. They ran like a hot route and he beat the blitz. He threw it over Rashad Bateman. And then Miami kind of stopped blitzing after that. I wonder, it's, you don't really know what Belichick is thinking. Is he watching that Miami game last year and thinking, oh, we can do, the, do this again? Or is he watching last week and thinking, oh, Lamar has leveled up this year. Maybe we don't blitz him. My instinct based on the last couple of years of how the Patriots defense has, has worked since Brian Flores left is that they're going to play more conservatively. They're going to play more zone coverage. They're going to drop guys back. I think I would expect to see more like three-man rushes than six-man rushes, actually. Hmm, interesting. So, And the other part of that, too, like just with Lamar and that offense, has there been a big difference now with Hollywood Brown out of the equation, obviously Bateman getting more targets and whatnot? Does that offense look different to you than it has in the past couple of years? Yeah, I think it does look different. I think uh, Greg Roman has kind of dialed back on – like the option stuff, like the pistol and the shotgun, they're, they're operating under center more. And they just didn't do that in the past. Every play, Lamar would be in the pistol or the shotgun. Now they're under center. And Rashad Bateman has made a big difference. Having a guy, like a number one receiver who isn't built like a middle schooler, apparently makes a big difference in the NFL when you're going up against like guys that are 6'2". I mean, you don't want a 5'10", 170-pound guy running tough routes over the middle and taking on big safeties. But Bateman is a guy that, like I said earlier, what Mac needs Bateman would be a perfect receiver for Mac because he's a guy that you could trust to get open. If you press him, he's going to beat the press and get open. If you play off, he's like a smart receiver who knows how to settle in zones and stuff. He's just a professional receiver, and the Ravens have really never had that with Lamar. They've never had a true number one, and I think Rashad Bateman fits that, that profile. Yeah, and speaking of, you mentioned Mac, so I just want to bring this up too because we, cho- we talked a lot about Mac and Tua. So if it was independent a situation, like obviously you would take two on this Dolphins team compared to Mac on the Patriots team. But if it was just independent of the situation, which player would you rather have? 
Oh, that's a tough one. If you would have asked me a week ago or two weeks ago, I would have picked Mac and I would not have even thought about it. But I think Tua has shown little, little signs of growth that I haven't seen from Mac in year two. So I'm leaning towards, towards Tua. Yeah, I'll take Tua right now. Two weeks ago, it would have been Mac. And I wouldn't be surprised if in like a month, it's a Mac again. But for now, Tua. All right, so I got to ask you about Brady because I know you have him fifth this week on your quarterback rankings. And I was looking at this. So he's second in time to throw, according to NextGen, and he's fourth in intended air yards. So the guys that are ahead of him in that are Lamar, who's 21st in time to throw, Jameis, 19th in time to throw, and Fields, who's last in time to throw. So how is that combination possible for Tom Brady at his age? It's it's like funny watching him play right now because you could see the resentment that he has for the rest of his teammates. Like the Bucks are really banged up. Their offensive line isn't good. And Brady just seems like he doesn't like playing football. So what you see is he'll call hike. He'll get the ball. He'll, he'll just because he's like a supercomputer who knows how a play is going to work out. He's like, oh, the deep guy's not going to get open. I'm just going to immediately throw it to the running back in the flat. He has no interest in getting hit right now. And I don't blame him. I think the Bucks goal as a team is kind of just stay healthy until we get to the playoffs. And I think you really see that with Tom Brady. Like, Gronk isn't there anymore. Chris Godwin's banged up right now. Mike Evans is going to be suspended. He got kicked out of the game in the second half last week. Antonio Brown's gone. They don't have any juice on the outsides right now. And if I'm Brady, I'm like, why am I sticking around to throw it deep to Scotty Miller? Like, I'll do it. Like, if there's if he's one-on-one on the outside, I'll call Hike and just throw a deep ball to the outside. But I'm not waiting for him to get open on a deep crosser and getting hit because my interior offensive line is terrible. That's what their offense looks like, and it's so bad right now. They can't run the ball. They can't really push the ball downfield outside of those tough throws to the perimeter. It's not a good look, but I think it will turn around. And I think eventually, like around December, Tom Brady is going to look more like Tom Brady. It does give me sort of with Brady is 2019-ish vibes when he was here. I mean, the the guy was miserable. He didn't have a lot of weapons, so it made the line probably look worse than it actually was. But Tom was, he at one point he said, I'm the most miserable 8-0 quarterback of all time. And it does feel like, based on the -the off-the-field drama this year that he was dealing with, maybe it is a similar situation. So, hey, I saw him, so he was like, I don't know if he was recruiting Odell Beckham Jr. I don't know if Odell Beckham Jr. is like taking these recruiting visits. He's going to different. He was at the Rams game, of course, when they were celebrating the championship. But then he was in New Orleans where Brady was playing there. Do you think Odell Beckham Jr. coming off the knee injury is somebody that could give Brady a lift? Yeah, I think he could give them like a similar boost that he gave the Rams late last year where they lost Robert Woods to injury. I think it was an ACL tear. They had Cooper Cup, but like defenses were just like throwing everything at Cooper Cup. And then you had Odell Beckham running these like these deep inbreakers over the middle on the backside of routes. And like, they don't, the Bucks don't have that guy right now. They don't have that second outside option. Even when Mike Evans comes back, cause they lost Antonio Brown. They signed Russell Gage. who's more of a slot guy. They just signed Cole Beasley. Who's just a slot guy. And Chris Godwin, he's, he's like a number two in theory, but he's also, a, he's like a slot receiver. So they need that second outside guy. They're hoping it's Julio, but Julio has a tr- has trouble staying healthy He's older. He, he doesn't have the same juice he used to have. I think Odell still has more juice. So I think that could help, especially with all the injuries right now. Yeah. And what if he ended up like with his original wish, which was to go to Miami and play with a group of guys that Tua is? How good would that Miami team be? Oh would they God. be like top tier, like Super Bowl contenders? They would have scored 80 points on Sunday against the Ravens. <laughs> they would have scored 80. 
<laughs> yeah. Uh, before we let you go, I just want to, because here everyone's freaking out because of the Bills and they look like this juggernaut the last two times the Patriots played them. They like didn't punt. They have no answers for Josh Allen whatsoever. So are the, they like this team that is head and shoulders above everybody else in the AFC or is it them and the Chiefs? Where do you kind of have them in terms of everybody's gone nuts about this team, Steven? I think they're... I think they're the best team in the AFC right now. I I don't think they're like far and away the best team though. I think the Chiefs are right there. I think the Chargers are right there. But as far as the teams in the AFC East are concerned and the Patriots in particular, don't worry about the Bills. (laughs) That's not your concern. You got got smaller things to take care of first before we start thinking about the Bills. Like if I'm a Patriots fan and I watch the Bills play and I see Josh Allen and then I watch Mac Jones play, what I'm thinking is, Maybe we should start thinking about these first-round quarterbacks next year so we can get a superhuman who can keep up with this guy. Because I don't know how you stop him when he plays like this. There's no answer when he yeah. plays like this. Yeah. How do, you, I mean, how do you stop a 6'5", 250-pound guy that runs like a 4'4", and could throw the ball 80 yards downfield? And now Josh Allen knows how to get through a progression and knows how to get rid of the ball on time. It's freaking scary, and you better have a metahuman like him if you want to keep up with him. Well, the answer is they don't know because, I mean, when Josh Allen plays the Patriots, they put up like 50 points and they embarrass them in a playoff game. I mean, that's what we've seen. The only game that they they got Josh Allen in the game that Mac threw three times. He threw three times in the entire game. I, I, it was still one of the wildest NFL games I've ever watched. But I guess, hey, they'll have that one over Josh Allen because it doesn't appear they'll have one in the foreseeable future. Invest in a win machine. Invest in a win machine. That's my advice to the Patriots. Hey, I mean, crazier things have happened, man. They had a guy out there clearing things off for a field goal for a long time. So <laughs> we'll see. Maybe they can pull off some tricks. That is Steven Ruiz from The Ringer. You hear him on The Ringer NFL Show as well. Thanks so much for the time, man. We really appreciate it. Yeah, thanks for having me. Like I said, I always love talking Mac. <laughs> thanks, dude. I appreciate it. Want to be more active this summer? Sierra helps you save on everything from swimsuits to stand-up paddleboards, tennis rackets to fishing tackle. And if that doesn't float your boat, we also have pool floats. Sierra, let's get moving to your local store, like now. Go! If you went on a road trip and you didn't stop for a Big Mac or drop a crispy fry between the car seats or use your McDonald's bag as a placemat, then that wasn't a road trip. It was just a really long drive. At participating McDonald's. All right, it's time now for the greatest Boston bet of the week. Thanks to our friends at FanDuel. And I'm still high on Jason Tatum. A lot of drama, as we all know, going on with the Celtics right now. But when I look at Tatum after the step he made last year, first team All-NBA, I feel like another step is coming this year. Six free throw attempts. I believe he gets to the line even more next season. I think we see a more aggressive Tatum. And based on everything going on with the organization, I believe he's going to want to send a message to the rest of the league. So you look at these MVP odds, plus 1,300 for Tatum. I still look at the roster that the Celtics have. Obviously, the Ime Adoka situation is huge for this team, but Tatum and this team are going to be at least in the family photo of the best two to three teams in the East, despite the issues they have with the coaching staff. So I love that plus 1,300 for Jason Tatum for MVP of the NBA coming up this season. Plus, you got to remember some of these veteran guys, they rest them, right? Like Curry's not going to be in the conversation. 
even a guy like John Morant, who's younger than Tatum, that guy's always dealing with some sort of an injury. You know, Durant's not going to play the necessary minutes. Giannis may, but every year Giannis plays fewer minutes than Jason Tatum does. So they may dial him back a little bit. And we know Jokic isn't winning a third consecutive MVP. So I really like those odds for Tatum. All right, we'll be back on Sunday with a recap of the Ravens game with former Patriots running back James White. And if anything happens in terms of the Ime Adoka situation, we'll certainly pop back on and update you on everything going on there. Oh, and by the way, if you want to leave us a voicemail on the email situation or on this Patriots game coming up on Sunday, you're mad right after the game, you're mad at halftime, or if Mac is throwing the ball like crazy, which I don't foresee happening, but if that's happening on Sunday at halftime and the Patriots are running up on the score on the Ravens, make sure to leave us a voicemail, 617-396-7172, 617-396-7172. Thanks to Jamie McClellan and Steve Cerruti for producing this podcast, and we'll chat in a couple of days. 